Chapter Thirty of Love's Shadow by Ada Leverson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor. Chapter Thirty. Mitchell behaves decently. For the last few days, Bruce had been greatly depressed. His temper more variable than ever and he had managed to collect a quite extraordinary number of entirely new imaginary illnesses. He was very capricious about them, and never carried one completely through, but abandoned it almost as soon as he had proved to Edith that he really had the symptoms, until she was convinced he never gave it up, but the moment she appeared suitably anxious about one disease, he adopted another. She had no doubt that he would continue to ring the changes on varieties of ill-health, until he had to some extent recovered from the black ingratitude, as he considered it, of Mitchell, in what he called hounding him out of the amateur theatricals, and not letting him play the part of one line at which he had slaved night and day. One evening he came home in quite a different mood, bright and cheerful. He played with Archie and looked in the glass a good deal, both of which signs Edith recognised as hopeful. "'How is your temperature tonight? do you think?' she asked, tentatively. "'Oh, I don't know. I can't worry about that. A rather gratifying thing has happened today. In fact, very gratifying.' He smiled. "'Really? You must tell me about it.' "'However badly a chap behaves, still, when he's really sorry—I mean to say, when he climbs down and begs your pardon, positively crawls at your feet, you can't hold out, Edith.' "'Of course not. Then did Mitchell—and when you've known a fellow a good many years, and he has always been fairly decent to you, except in the one instance, and when he is in a real difficulty—oh, hang it, one's glad to do what one can.' "'Do I gather that there has been a touching scene between you and Mitchell at the office?' He glanced at her suspiciously. "'May I ask if you are laughing?' "'Oh, no, no, I was smiling with pleasure, hoping you had made it up.' "'Well, yes.' It may be weak of me, but I couldn't see the poor fellow's scheme absolutely ruined without lending a helping hand. I have got my share of proper pride, as you know, Edith, but after all, one has a heart. What did he do? Do? exclaimed Bruce triumphantly. Do? Only apologised, only begged me to act with them again, only said that the peace was nothing without me, that's all. So I forgave him, and he was jolly grateful, I can tell you. "'Fancy! Is it the same part?' "'Of course not. Didn't I tell you that the fancy ball in the second act has been cut out? So of course they don't want a mandarin. No, but Frank Loscombe has given up his part, chucked it, and they've asked me to take it.' "'Is it as long as the other one?' "'Longer. I appear twice. Mind you, in a way it's not such an important part as the other would have been. But the play wouldn't hold together without it. And, as Mitchell said, Frank Luscombe is such a conceited chap.' He thought himself too grand to play a footman. He didn't have the proper artistic feeling for the whole effect. It appears that he was grumbling all the time, and at last gave it up. Then it occurred to Mitchell that perhaps I would help him out, and I said I would. It's a bit of a triumph, isn't it, Edith? A great triumph. Then you'll be going back to the rehearsals again? Of course I shall. They begin tomorrow. Mitchell thinks that I shall make the hit of the evening. Some of these comparatively unimportant parts, when they are really well played, are more effective than the chief characters. Mitchell says he saw before, by the rehearsals, what a tremendous lot of talent I had. But it isn't merely talent, as he said. What they all noticed was my personal magnetism. And I expect that's it. 
fancy a man like Mitchell coming cringing to me after all that has passed between us. Mind you, it is a distinct score, Edith. It is indeed. If you've not got your part with you, you won't want to work at it tonight. I wonder, as you seem better, whether you would feel up to listening while I tell you something about the accounts. There you are. How like a woman! The very moment I am a bit cheered up and hopeful and feeling a little stronger, you begin worrying me again. Dear Bruce, I wasn't going to worry you. I don't want you to do anything, anything at all, but listen, and it really will take hardly any time at all. You remember you said you weren't strong enough to go through them, and suggested I should show them to your mother? Well, I went today, and I only want to tell you what happened. Awfully good of you. What did she say? She didn't say much, and she thought she could arrange it, but not without speaking to your father. Oh, I say, really? Well, that's all right, then. The girl who plays Miss Vavasour is quite as good as any professional actress, you know. In fact, she would have made a fortune on the stage. She's a Miss Flummerfelt. Her father was German by birth. If she weren't a little bit inclined to be fat, she would be wonderfully handsome. I shall have a little scene with her in the third act, at least not really a scene exactly, but I have to announce her. I open the door and say, Miss Vavasour, and then she rushes up to Lady Jenkins, who's sitting on the sofa, and tells her the bracelet has been found, and I shut the door. But there's a great deal, you know, in the tone in which I shall announce her. I have to do it in an apparently supercilious but really admiring tone, to show that all the servants think Miss Ravasour has taken the bracelet, but that I am certain it isn't true. Frank Luscombe, it seems, used to say the words without any expression at all, just Miss Vavasour, like that, in an unmeaning sort of way. I see. Your father was at home at the time, so your mother most kindly said she would go in to him at once and try to get it settled, just to spare you the suspense of waiting for a letter about it. Isn't it sweet and considerate of her? Awfully. In the second act, Lady Jenkins says to me, Parker, has an emerald snake bracelet with a ruby head been found in any of the rooms? And I have to say, I will inquire, my lady. And then I move about the room, putting things in order. She says, that will do, Parker, you can go. You seem to make yourself rather a nuisance, then. But do listen, Bruce. I waited, feeling most frightfully uncomfortable, and I'm afraid there was a fearful row. I felt so sorry for your mother, but you know the way she has of going straight to the point. She really wasn't long, though it seemed long. She came back and said, Of course, there's one thing Mitchell asked me to do, but I was obliged to refuse. I can't shave off my moustache. Heavens! You aren't going to play the part of a powdered footman with a moustache? Yes, I shall. Mitchell doesn't know it yet, but I mean to. I can carry it off. I can carry off anything. Well, your mother came back and said that your father had given an ultimatum. Is that all he's given? He will put the thing straight on one condition. It seems it's quite an easy condition. He's going to write and tell it to you. Your mother says you must agree at once and not argue, and then everything will be all right. Oh, I am glad. It's all through you, Edith. Thanks awfully. It's really very good of you. You should have seen how pleased Mitchell was when I said I'd do this for him. Simply delighted. Oh, and Mrs. Mitchell is going to call on you. I'll find out which day. I suppose I am to be at home to her now. You told me before not to receive her, you know. Well, no. If you could manage it without being rude, I would rather she only left a card. The mansions look all right from outside, and they are in a decent neighbourhood and all that, but the flat is so very small. I hardly like her to see it. 
"'Really, Bruce, you are absurd. "'Does Mitchell suppose that you live in a palace?' "'Not a palace, exactly. "'But I expect I have given him an impression that it is, well, all right.' "'Well, so it is. "'If you think the flat unworthy to be seen by Mrs. Mitchell, "'why be on visiting terms with her at all? "'I don't want to be.' "'But, Edith, you can't refuse the advances of a woman like that, "'the wife of such a friend of mine as Mitchell. "'He's a most valuable friend, a splendid fellow, a thoroughly good sort. "'You've no idea how upset he was about our little quarrel the other day. "'He said he couldn't sleep at night thinking about it, "'and his wife, too, was fretting dreadfully, making herself quite ill. "'But now, of course, it's all right.' "'I'm not so sure that it is all right. "'Perhaps you'll quarrel again on the moustache question.' "'Oh, no, we shan't.' There can't be any more choppings and changings. After telling the whole company that we buried the hatchet and that I'm going to take Luscombe's part, he wouldn't care to disappoint them all again. They're very keen, too, on pleasing Miss Flummerfelt, and it seems Mitchell thought she would be particularly glad that I was going to act with her instead of Luscombe, because, as I say, Luscombe put so little meaning into the words. It never would have got over at the footlights. "'Old Mitchell would be too pleased to get me back to worry about a trifle like that. "'Well, that's all right. "'But do you mind writing to your mother to-night? "'Just a line to thank her for being so kind. "'It was awfully nice of her, you know. "'She stuck up for you like anything, "'and put all the little extravagances onto your ill health. "'And you see, she has spared you having a scene with your father. "'He's just going to write you a nice note.' "'Yes, I understand. You told me before.' "'But I have got to write a letter tonight, a rather important one. "'I'll write to the mater tomorrow. "'Oh, Bruce!' "'My dear girl, business first, pleasure after. "'To write to one's mother is a pleasure. "'I wonder what the blessed ultimatum is. "'Look here, Edith, don't take any engagements for the next two or three weeks, will you? "'I shall want you every evening for rehearsing. "'I mean to make a good piece of work of this. "'I think I shall rather surprise Miss Flummerfelt and Mitchell.' "'Very well.' "'But still I think you might write to your mother. "'Who is the very important business letter to?' "'Why, it's to Clarkson.' End of chapter 30